Welcome to The Weekender, Montana's half-hour news hour, a new podcast from Yellowstone Public Radio. I'm your host, Nikki Ouellette. Each week, we chat with a reporter to hear how they went about covering some of the biggest news in the state. This week, we're with the Billings Gazette's Matt Hoffman, who's been looking into the economic impacts of Montana's lack of childcare and early childhood education. Later in the show, we get lost in a straw bale maze in the Flathead Valley. And then we test our guest, Matt Hoffman, on his Montana knowledge with our news quiz. Our front page guest is Matt Hoffman, education reporter at the Billings Gazette. He reported this week that there is no area in Montana where childcare capacity meets demand, and that these gaps in availability plus high costs hurt local economies now and can have implications in the future. Matt, thanks for coming on the show. This week, you wrote that a lack of child care and pre-kindergarten options is hindering Billings' economy. This is based on a September report from the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. What are the gaps in child care options in Yellowstone County, and how do they affect the economy? So, like you said, this is a report from the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. They're a group that's done work on preschool and early childhood care for years. And only kind of in the last couple years have they turned their gaze towards Montana on this. Um, One of the things that they rely on in their report was a 2017 that was done by an economist with the Department of Labor and Industry here in Montana. It found that Montana had about 41% of child care capacity as a percent, excuse me, of potential demand by state. So what that means is that Based on all the kids that we've got and all the families that are looking for care, only about 41% of that need is filled. In Yellowstone County, you might think that'd be higher given that we're more urban. It's actually lower. We're at 38%. Um, Some areas like Lewis and Clark County are a little higher at 57 in Helena there. But rural areas are also particularly low. I mean, you can go out to Garfield County, for example, and it's only 13%. So right there, you've got kind of this gap. Um which, I mean, historically, maybe that was filled by one parent staying in the home and raising kids. Or if you've got a ranch family, I mean, kids are out working on the ranch at a pretty young age. But, I mean, we're a pretty urban society here in Billings. Um, So that's just not really how it works anymore, which is something that this report zeroed in on. From a business perspective, you've got two big problems there. You've got um, an immediate workforce issue where you've got parents that don't feel like they can go to work because they need to raise a kid. Um, and there are, there are certainly some folks who, you know, want to do that. That's a choice for them. But then there are folks who economically can't afford childcare. Um, that 2017 study found that the cost of one year for toddler care is about $8,000. Cost for one year of infant care is about $9,000. And that's going to vary wildly based on the quality of a daycare or childcare institution. 
the um, the big report that you cited from the Federal Reserve Bank, didn't it find that 7% of Montana families with a child younger than six said that one of the parents had to quit a job, they didn't take a job, or they greatly changed their work because of problems finding childcare? Correct. So you've got folks who are not able to enter the workforce, and then you've got a recruitment and retention issue. Um, one of the guys who authored this report, uh, Casey Lozars, on the Board of Regents for the Montana University System, I talked to him for my story, and he talked about how he constantly hears around the state that employers can't find workers. And one of the things that those folks bring up when they're trying to recruit folks from out of state is, well, what are my child care options? And there's not enough, frankly, according to those employers. You talked earlier that not having an early childhood education option um, puts kids behind, and that, you know, 10, 20 years down the road, that puts the workforce behind. Um, what kind of research is out there that supports or discredits that idea? Sure. So there's a ton of preschool research. Um, for example, you've got this 2005 study of Michigan students that followed kids until they turned 40. It found that students that attended preschool had better academic achievement, held higher paying jobs, were less likely to end up in jail. Um, and it found that the savings in education and criminal justice programs and taxes from higher salaries far outweighed the initial costs of preschool programs. However, a study that opponents of publicly funded programs often cite um, was a big congressionally commissioned study that f of more than 5,000 Head Start students that released some conclusions in 2010 that introduced this concept of fade-out. It found that any academic advantage Head Start students gained compared to their peers disappeared by the end of first grade. Um, that, that's contrary to most preschool research. Um, I often describe research as mixed, but most of it supports preschool programs as being effective. And you've seen other studies that have reviewed that data that was used in that study and reached different conclusions. For example, a 2016 reanalysis found that children in Head Start saw significant gains compared to those who didn't attend a preschool, and it kind of critiqued some of the methodology of that original study. Um, most recently, for example, you also had a study that um, came out of Colorado that was just released. I think Chalkbeat, which is a great education outlet, just wrote about that. Um, that found that a new publicly funded program in Colorado had positive impacts, and it actually compared half-day to full-day preschool and found that, yes, full-day is worth it. Um, so there's, I mean, just a constant flow of research on this stuff. And with kind of the notable exception of that fade-out study, most of it supports preschool programs as being academically and economically effective. Why doesn't Montana have a publicly funded preschool option if it's shown to have such great results further down the line? So there, there's a lot of folks, particularly in Governor Steve Bullock's office, who would like to know the answer to that. Um, th this was something that Bullock made a priority pretty much immediately when he came into office. Um, at the 2015 legislature, he asked for $37 million over two years for a pretty expansive public preschool program. Didn't get it. Comes back in 2017, asked for $12 million. Um, we had a bit of a budget crunch that year. Again, doesn't get it. But in kind of some last-second budget haggling, um, which was not particularly transparent by, you know, government meeting standards, this $6 million two-year pilot program comes out of that called the STARS program. It's a series of grants that can go to public schools, private providers, or Head Start programs. Um, Lockwood participated in this. Billings Head Start participated in this. 
a private center in Shepherd and in Red Lodge participated in this. It was a statewide thing. And Bullock pretty aggressively, you know, touted that program. Um, the state came out with a study that looked at, it wasn't an academic study. It didn't have that level of rigor, but it said that we've expanded preschool by a ton here. I mean, we've got more than 300 more kids. They're having good academic results. I mean, it's only two years, so we can't make big sweeping conclusions here, but this is really promising. However, during the most recent legislative session, there were kind of competing preschool proposals. You saw an ask from Representative Casey Schreiner that um, asked for a pretty sweeping public system. Um, basically, any public school that wanted to start doing preschool could do that, and they could fund those students the way that they fund any other elementary kid. Um, that didn't go anywhere. It didn't make it out of committee. Um, Republicans in the legislature weren't at all receptive to that. And then, why, why not? Why, what's the, the pushback against that option? So you've got, you've got I guess, several issues there where um, I remember one representative in an interim commission meeting um, basically saying, hey, I recognize that there are needs and problems here, but the bottom line is this, we're talking about parental responsibility. And then on the legislative front, you've also got kind of a general fiscal wariness, I guess. I mean, I think that it's no surprise to anyone in our state that our state legislature isn't a big fan of spending money. Um, preschool is a complicated issue. I mean, full-day kindergarten isn't that old in Montana. You've got folks who are kind of very wary of a school coming in and, you know, taking your small child-shaped piece of clay and, you know, having a real big impact on that. I mean, we value being able to raise children the way that we want, you know, with your family values and that sort of thing. That's not unique to Montana. That's that's everywhere. I mean, folks care about their kids. They care about what their kids are going to believe. Um, and in some circles, I mean, there is a wariness that turning your kids over to a school or a government entity or even a private provider um, could have some negative impacts. I don't think there's a lot of research to support that, but that doesn't mean that people don't believe it's true. Sure. And that seemed to be kind of the biggest hang up during the 2019 session, trying to get a publicly funded preschool option on the table was that some legislators were proposing that public funding would go to these private schools. And there was big pushback against that. Sure. That's where um, you had kind of a long simmering fight there that had slipped under the radar in 2017 when the STARS program originally passed. Really, it kind of snuck by everyone, including um, a lot of education advocacy groups that really adamantly suppose, oppose what we call school choice policies, policies that direct um, public money to private schools. And they viewed this expansion into preschool, including private providers, as a foot in the door on that. Um, it was something that, you know, they worry about, well, if we allow preschools in now, what's stopping us from sending money if you want to send your high schooler to the local private Catholic school, I mean, is the legislature going to approve that? Um, I mean, we've got a big tax credit case that's in front of the U.S. Supreme Court right now um, looking at whether or not Montana's Constitution allows you to direct public money towards a private school for education. Um, there's a ton of nuance in cases like that, but that's kind of the 10,000-foot level. And so when we saw Representative Eric Moore bring forward his proposal, he made no bones about it. This was a cho school choice program. He wanted private providers in there. Um, and other states have, you know, kind of said that 
you know, maybe if we don't support K-12 school choice, oh, we'll kind of turn a, turn a bit of a blind eye towards preschool. We'll recognize that, you know, there is more of a private market there with things like daycare and that sort of thing. Um, but you saw a lot of folks in Montana who weren't willing to do that. Um, they didn't want to turn a blind eye to that. Um, so you saw splits among both Democrats and Republicans. I mean, it was kind of one of those funny bipartisan issues that had both bipartisan support and bipartisan opposition. So the bottom line is that it got real late in the session. It was a real complicated issue, and it didn't get done. And now Montana is back to being one of a handful of states in the country that does not offer this publicly funded option. What kind of options do families have? You said that only 40, you know, 41 percent of kids in Yellowstone County have the option to go to pre-K. So, so what kind of what options are on the table? So we've got a variety of private child care centers. Um, I mean, you'll see those just driving around town. Um, some of those folks choose to participate in a state, a state rating system called the Stars to Quality Program. Um, basically, that's a, it's not mandatory, but it's a way of if you want to get in this big old database that a parent or whoever can look at when they're looking for child care options, um, you can do that. But, you know, you have to let someone from the state in and go through your place and say, hey, you fit into kind of this category in terms of what we expect out of high quality child care. Um, You've also got Head Start. That's far and away the largest public program here in Montana. Um, It's federally funded. Um, In Billings, they've consolidated in recent years into the more urban areas. Um, A few years back, they closed classrooms in Red Lodge and Joliet. Um, They cited huge wait lists in Billings, and that's that's a real thing. I mean, folks weren't thrilled in Red Lodge and Joliet, um, but it's not like there wasn't an increased need in Billings either. Um, and then you've got a handful of public schools that do do some sort of preschool program on their own. Um, for example, Lockwood for years has done kind of an every other half day program um, that they've argued is really cost effective for the district. They have a higher rate of kids who don't need interventions later on, who don't need a specialist to come in and work with them on behavioral or academic issues. Yeah, about a quarter of those students who go through the program have ended up in Lockwood's advanced track kindergarten class, which is higher than usual compared to the general population. And they also target kids who are likely to benefit from that. One of the huge correlations that you see in education is that kids from low-income families have, frankly, worse academic results. They're less likely to graduate, less likely to go to college, less likely to do well on standardized tests. And so when you look at if you're targeting that population and you're doing better than the general population in terms of getting kids into an advanced track, that's excellent. Um, Billings has also recently started a kindergarten jumpstart program, which is a half-day, six days a week summer program that Orchard Elementary, Newman Elementary, and Ponderosa Elementary all on Billings Southside did. Um, Kindergarten teachers for years have said, I mean, we've got kids coming in who can read full sentences, and then we've got kids coming in who can't identify a single word. So this is a program that looks at trying to close that gap, Um, but also just get kids kind of used to school, the building, the halls, the routine. Um, Newman Elementary's principal watched kids run in and line up from recess once during the summer, and he told me, like, man, I usually have to wait until October before I can get that. So... You're, you're talking about 
some some newer programs there with that one. That's something that the school district, I think a lot of people hope to expand, but you've got a lot of competing demands and priorities there too. What are communities, especially in more rural parts of Montana, um, that maybe don't have you know as big budgets as, as schools in places like Billings, what are they doing to try to get around this and, and offer that early childhood education? Sure. So, for example, um, I'll, I'll cite a couple of other media reports here. I haven't had an opportunity to look into these myself. But in 2017, the Great Falls Tribune po- reported that um, Carter School, which is a tiny little district about 30 miles east of Shelby, um, was bringing in preschoolers in part to help keep um, their school goal going. I mean, a lot of rural schools struggle with enrollment. And, you know, they recognize some value in bringing in preschoolers regardless of enrollment and think that, well, you know, if it helps us keep our local school, that's a good thing. Um, then you've got programs like near Ekalaka, um, the Hammond School and the Hawks Home School, again, very small, very small rural schools, um, operates a school readiness program, which lets preschool-age kids into the classroom once a week. Um, they ran a fundraiser for that, and the Ekalaka Eagle report that they were targeting, and I'm quoting here, an ambitious goal of $800. So you talk about scale in rural communities versus urban communities, and it's very different things. I mean, Ekalaka was literally getting donations through Schwann's, the food delivery service. Um, And so you compare that to, for example, um, a town like Red Lodge is still what we think of as pretty rural in Montana. But, you know, there's a town center, there's um, a hospital in town, and that hospital actually got into the child care business In the early 2000s, there was a small preschool that had closed um, in the late 90s, and the Beartooth Billings Clinic, um, which is their local branch of Billings Clinic here in town, decided to get in the preschool game. They thought that it was important for the community to have a good child care option, a high-quality option. They looked at those kind of research-established benefits of preschool and said there is a real health care element to this as well. So in about 2001, they opened the Beartooth Children's Center, and throughout the history of that child care center, the clinic has chipped in money to kind of subsidize the cost of high-quality preschool, um, you know, making sure that, you know, it's not just someone watching your kid and make sure they're not playing with sharp objects, you know. There is an education element here. There's something of a curriculum. There are some structured activities. There's a behavioral and social component. Um, So they chipped in money to try to make that cost of high-quality preschool comparable to kind of more of that daycare model so that, you know, parents weren't having to pay an arm and a leg, maybe only an arm, um, to get their kid into a high-quality program. Um, Part of the concern there also was being able to have teachers who were well-trained for this program. Um, They wanted someone who had an early child care degree um, who was kind of trained in those high-quality components, and they wanted to be able to pay that person like a professional. Um, salaries are notoriously low in child care, um, significantly lower than in other education fields. And, I mean, Red Lodge is a kind of an increasingly touristy town and kind of increasingly expensive to live in, and they recognized that and said, we want to be able to keep those people here. Um, we want to make sure that we've got a good supply of workers for this program. That's just kind of wild thinking of, you know, private private businesses in their own interest having to start up daycare programs to make sure they have enough adults in town so that they can keep, keep businesses off the ground. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, we have seen um, 
some closures across the state of those programs too, where, um, I mean, when I was talking to the foundation spokeswoman in Red Lodge, um, she, she was pretty blunt that when budget cuts come around, if you're a business and you're looking at, you know, your childcare that you're offering to your employees, a lot of the time that's not considered a vital service. A lot of the time that's one of the first things to go. Um, so whether or not that shifts um, will be interesting, especially given that groups like the Billings Chamber of Commerce are getting more involved with this. Um, that was one of the big things that came out of the Minneapolis Fed report is that um, the chamber is really starting to look at preschool and early child care as a workforce issue and that they would like to get involved in the upcoming legislative session. They don't know what that's going to look like yet. They don't know, I mean, exactly what that, what type of program they might or might not support, but they're, they're willing to put a little skin in the game here. As we kind of move forward and um, the Billings Chamber gets into this, legislature might be picking this back up in 2021. What are you going to be looking at? So one of the things I'm looking at right now, actually, is a program that we've got in Montana called the Best Beginning Scholarship. This was something that had kind of, I'd always been aware of, but haven't hadn't devoted the time that I need to. Um, it's something that the Minneapolis Fed talked about as well, where it's a program that uses federal money that's administered by the state of Montana um, to give out some scholarships um, that help kind of defray the cost of child care for folks. The Minneapolis Fed found that, you know, that didn't did not cover everything. There were lots of people who qualified for that program that weren't part of it. Um, the money did not come close really to covering the full cost of childcare, but it's not something that I know a lot about. So like I've got an information request for some basic stuff in with that right now. Um, I'm going to be looking at a lot of the schools, daycares, Head Start programs that had participated in that 2017 STARS program, which went away, see what the impacts of that are. Um, and then, of course, as the legislature gets closer, we'll have a new governor in office, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, if preschool is a major issue for them. Well, I'm eager to catch your follow-up reporting. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing it with us today. Well, thanks for the interest. Next up, arts and culture, where we visit one of the gems that make Montana the last best place. This week, we sent Aaron Bolton from Montana Public Radio over to White Stage Organic Farms just north of Kalispell, where Scott Lester has again set up his locally famous straw bale maze. Aaron, what's special about this year's maze? So this is the the fourth year that Lester has been doing this, and he went all out and designed the maze in the shape of a, a grizzly bear. And if you look at uh, the aerial photo of the maze, which you can find online, it even has like some 3D qualities to it, which is really cool. And Lester says it took him and, and about a few others uh, like 200 hours to design and build the thing. Uh, so it was, it was pretty extensive. Yeah. So you went with your girlfriend, Nellie. Can you kind of paint a picture for me? What was the day like? When did you go? Yeah. So I, I enlisted my girlfriend to, to come. And it was a really nice Sunday afternoon a couple of weeks ago before we got that, that snowstorm. 
And it, it's a family atmosphere, of course. There's, you know, a playground. There's there's kind of a bouncy thing for kids, a food truck with warm cider and some other food. Uh, and, of course, the maze where you not only have to make your way through it, but you have to find four colored checkpoints throughout and uh, color in the points on a card to, to prove you were successful and uh, get a prize at the end. Very tricky. Let's head on in. Did you find the black one? We did. Yep. We did too. Chris, Adam, check. We had a lot of fun we were here last year, so uh, they wanted to come back. It was a beautiful day for it, and uh, yeah, spend a few hours out here and tire them out. That's it's it's a, a tradition, uh, fall tradition, like pre pre Halloween, you know. All the way over there and then take a turn and then take a turn. All right. Ethan, Caitlin. Did you find a? Did you find a checkpoint? Yeah. What color is it? Uh, brown. Well, that was an easy one. Yep. How, how long do you think it's going to take you to do the maze? Uh, how many? Five minutes. Five. Well, you're going to be pretty fast then. Five minutes? <laughs> yep. Okay. You're probably going to beat us. <laughs> you can go ahead. You know, I, I've heard pretty consistently this is the hardest maze this year. You know, kids that staff it that make sure that we can help people out if they've had enough. and. I'm surprised at the number of people that throw in the towel halfway through the maze and say, okay, I'm done, help me out of here. Uh, I'm Scott Lester, owner of Whitefish Stage Organic Farms. So this is our fourth year doing it. First year we did a castle because we had all straight edges and straight lines and I figured I could make that work and keep it straight. And uh, second year I started to get some curves in there with the, with the barn and the silo. Um, last year we got even more creative and did a tractor uh, where we were able to kind of do some giant compasses and, and get some wheels and this is the first year we really just went all out with the um, with getting rid of right angles and just started you know doing curves and bends and the bear kind of required that so um, we figured out how to do it and, and it actually turned out pretty good. So. Uh, Tamara, uh, Simsack. Stephanie Cowden. We've probably been here for about 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Missed this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We missed this one completely. Yeah. This is good. Let me see. So we need purple and yellow. And purple and yellow. There's a dead end. This is a dead end. Do you know what time we started? No, I have no idea. Maybe it will take us three hours. Okay, I'm going to back up buddy against the wall. The purple this way, Daddy. Where's the purple? Another dead end. Nope, just kidding. Nope, yep, now it is. Hey! Woohoo! Yay! Now that we found all the colors, I feel like I should just jump out. Can you see him? That's the exit right there. Oh. Here. <laughs> that was ridiculous. Wow, congrats, Aaron. How long did it end up taking? You know, I. I had planned to actually start a stopwatch to really uh, be pretty specific about it, but I, I ended up forgetting. Uh, I would say it took us probably a little over an hour, but that you know that includes stopping to talk to families and, and kids along the way as well. Hmm, lost in the maze and lost in time. How fun. <laughs> right. Thanks to Aaron Bolton and Nellie Matson for braving White Stage Organic Farms Straw Bale Maze. The festivities just north of Kalispell run now through October 27th. 
Now it's time to test our guest, Matt Hoffman's knowledge of headline news from around the state. <laughs> Matt, do you think you can beat Cameron Evans and Seaborn Larson from the Missoulian, who got four correct answers in a minute when they came on? Four correct answers in a minute? Mm-hmm. No. Oh. <laughs> I think you can do it. Are you ready? I, I like to set low bars. Okay, and then exceed them. Sure. Maybe. Okay, okay, here we go. On your mark, get set. This week, the Veterans Affairs officials announced a new expanded community-based outpatient clinic for veterans in which Montana city? Butte? Nope, it was in Missoula. A Texas-based oil and gas company reached a settlement this week to permanently retire leases in where? That's correct. A warrant was issued for a Libby woman's arrest, only for law enforcement to find her where? Libby? She was in jail, actually. (laughs) Um, Who visited Grand Teton and Yellowstone National Parks this week as part of her Be Best campaign? The first lady, Melania Trump. That's correct. Treated wastewater from the blank is now being released into Silver Bow Creek. Berkeley Pit. You got it. A Kalispell woman called 911 to make sure her phone was working and reported there was no emergency except everyone in the house was blank. On fire. Cranky. (laughs) And one more. A Gallatin County Sheriff's officer helped a blank get out of a construction dumpster this week. Bear. That is correct. It's well always done. a bear. It's always a bear. I had no clue, but it's always a bear. <laughs> well, you tied Cameron and Seaborn. You got four correct. All right. Thanks so much for playing. It was fun. And that's your weekender. Tune back in two weeks for our next episode. I'm Nikki Willette. Thanks for listening. The Weekender, Montana's half-hour news hour, is produced by Nikki Wallet and Caitlin Nicholas for Yellowstone Public Radio. Theme music by Caleb Barnt. Partial funding for The Weekender is provided by the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montana. Ooh.